and welcome to this episode of the University of York Student Podcast. I am Amy, I am a first year archaeology student and I am here with Ruth Penfold-Mounts um, who is from the sociology department. And uh, we're here to talk a little bit about a celebrity death um, because I think that's a very interesting, interesting topic and I hope you agree that that's an interesting topic. <laughs> it is, I'm just slightly obsessed with it if I'm honest. It's uh, been consuming me for quite a while now. If it's going to be your job you might as well be be a little bit obsessed with it <laughs> totally we spend a lot of hours at work so you might as well do something you're really yeah. passionate about <laughs> yeah definitely um so yeah um from, this is this was taken from the university of your website so correct me if if this is wrong but okay. it says that you are a senior lecturer in criminology that's correct oh, good um what kind of got you into criminology you know it was a total accident um, so I stumbled into criminology as an undergraduate when a friend chose a criminology module. I wasn't going to take it. Um, she's like, oh, come on, take this with me. So I said, okay. And ultimately, I became obsessed with the subject and it's actually become my entire career. Uh, she actually opted out of the module halfway through. I was still stuck on it. Um, but I'm kind of glad that I did. Um, it's become a lifelong committed passion, really. Yeah, and you focused a lot about death and the culture around death in your work. How did you specifically make the jump from criminology to death? Because that's a, um, a subject that most people tend to avoid a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad you asked me this. So there is a good story that goes with this. So you've heard about how I ended up stumbling into criminology. Well, I stumbled through my undergraduate uh, studies and then ultimately I ended up doing this PhD. And doing the PhD, I was looking at um, celebrity culture and crime. Um, and part of that was me as a sort of 22-year-old um, being interested in Gary Glitter, who'd just been sent to prison for paedophilia. I had to come up with a PhD topic. So I'm like, oh, celebrity, got some crime. OK, we make the connections. And during my research, I started to come across stories about people keeping bits of the famous criminal dead. And that's where the death bit comes in. I got really interested in how historically, you go about hundreds of years, people would keep the finger bones of executed criminals. And if you kept those bones in your purse, you were supposed to never run out of money. So there's lots of sort of superstition. And then I started coming across other stories um, about um, train robbers in the US, uh, George Big Nose Parrot in the 1800s, who was executed. And the local doctors um, did this autopsy on him because, you know, Clearly he's a criminal. What's inside him that makes him bad? And um, then they kept bits of his body as souvenirs. They made um, a doctor's bag out of his skin. Uh, one of the doctors kept his skull cap as an ashtray. And that's where those connections between fame and celebrity, crime and death really kicked in. It was through stories. That's interesting because um, you hear about it quite a lot in religion. People keep in sort of... Um, parts of religious figures and it's interesting that we now do that to celebrity it's almost as if that's become our new religion in a way absolutely it's really interesting how we keep bits of those who are truly good um you sort of your, your holy relics things like that but then we seem to like keeping bits of the really bad as well so we like to we like extremes um and it's also interesting how sometimes relics um have actually come from people who were criminals at the time so margaret of clitheroe here in york you know she was crushed to death um on the ooze bridge 
um, for being Catholic and harbouring Catholic priests. You know, this was a crime at the time. But now, uh, I think it was in 1970, she was canonised and her hand is kept at the local bar convent. Um, so part of her body has become a relic, a holy relic, and yet she was executed as a criminal. So you've got some interesting dynamics between good and bad and keeping bits of those people. I always think that, um, I mean, you're the expert on this, but people have a, um, a, a morbid curiosity with um, the, the glamorously criminal. Um, and I think you said once in The Independent that there's um, sort of good crimes and bad crimes and that um, people are interested in the sort of glamorous crimes where there's uh, sort of no victim, but then there's other crimes that we just sort of don't touch because it's a little bit too much for people. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So part of my research over the years has really looked into this sort of differentiation between um, the sort of those glamorous crimes and the less glamorous crimes. And you have these types of crime that are sort of what I'd record to um, refer to as quite sort of notorious or unforgivable crimes. So crimes such as uh, paedophilia. So if someone has committed those crimes, they are condemned in our current climate. Um, there is no coming back from those crimes. There is nothing glamorous or appealing. You can't jazz it up in any way. It's horrific and horrible. And people are revolted and disgusted. But then there are other crimes where they're almost like the, the naughty crimes, where people have sort of demonstrated some cunning. They've been sneaky. They've kind of overcome big faceless institutions. And there's kind of a, a sort of a thriller-based story uh, with characters and they've gotten away with it or they haven't quite got away with it or one of them did and, you know, they fled the country. Um, and we kind of hook onto those stories. Um, and I think this really reflects back on us um, or sort of as humanity liking stories. And we kind of like people who kind of get away with things, um, things that we would never dream of doing or dare doing. But we kind of like the fact that we've got some rule breakers out there. There's something that kind of appeals to us on quite a deep seated level. So we're almost living vicariously through these through these celebrities um, who, or I shouldn't call them celebrities, these criminals who we've, <laughs> um, who we've, to use your word before, canonised in some places, literally canonised, um, because apparently we like a bit of crime. <laughs> we do, we do. We, we sort of heroise them, don't we? Mm -hmm. um, you know, you go back in time to some of these sort of early sort of stories, someone like Robin Hood, okay? Most likely not a real person. But he's come to represent something and he's like this hero who is robbing the rich to feed the poor. And we've had a lot of instances whereby we've had people who um, haven't fully lived up to that Robin Hood-esque label but have been associated with it. So, for example, the Cray Twins from the 1960s, East End of London, um, you know, they were criminals in the East End. You know, they threatened people, um, murdered people, um, not very nice people, but... But they had this fabulous reputation of looking after their mum. They were only targeting people who were also criminals, according to them anyway. Um, and they were seen as sort of Robin Hood characters. Poor lads who'd pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, um, created a business empire, criminal business empire, but still a business empire. And, you know, they hung out with celebrities uh, like Barbara Windsor, for example, of EastEnders fame and sort of the Carry On films. She hung out with them. They hung out with Judy Garland and famous boxers. So they kind of um, developed this sort of glamour, although they were really not very nice people. I just wanted to um, move on to the other half of the, the topics that you appear to be interested in, which is the celebrity death side of things. 
um, which is the bit that I'm personally very interested <laughs> in. Um, and you wrote um, an article for, um, it's for The Conversation. Yeah, so The Conversation is um, run by various sort of universities and they publish okay. work that then uh, newspapers are allowed to republish. Oh, that's really cool. Um, yeah, and you wrote it for Halloween, which I think is interesting <laughs> in itself. Um, but the article was about how um, about how we have an interest in celebrity death, but it's not just for Halloween. Um, and the, we seem to be morbidly interested in celebrity death, but only when it when it appeals to us. Um, and you also you mentioned in this article that. Um, that for many famous individuals, death has been a successful career move. Yes. I think that was a very, very interesting line. Um, you also talked a little bit about um, people selling their rights to their image and companies buying the rights to celebrity image after they've died. That's such a such a crazy concept to me. <laughs> yeah. So I kind of got into this when I came across the Forbes dead rich list, as it's affectionate, affectionately known. Um, it's really called the top earning dead celebrities list, but known as dead rich list. And it's published every year in October. And what this list does is it publishes the annual earnings of dead celebrities. And it sort of highlights that once you're dead... Just because your body is gone, celebrity careers continue. They have these posthumous careers and they can be incredibly lucrative. Um, so I've been tracking it um, in recent years. So it's been running from, like I say, from 2001. Um, and every October I get really excited because I'm like, who's going to be on the list? Who's in the top 10? Um, and what I think it really shows is that death is not the end. And that people in our capitalist society have recognized that there's more money to be made if you've got a famous relative and they die their legacy their life um their image whether that's their photographic image whether that's the sort of image they portrayed in life so they were like sexy and clever or or slightly dim but funny that sort of image their signature uh, their voice all of those things make up this celebrity image and that gets inherited by the family now not many of us are experts in how to be an agent to regulate this sort of image, especially after death. So now there are these companies that will specialise in being agents for the dead. Authentic Brands Group is just one of them, based out in the States. And what this uh, marketing group will do is effectively talk the family who've inherited this celebrity dead career, and they'll say, well, we'll look after them for you. We'll curate their career You'll get the percentage, but we'll run them for you. And, you know, they're becoming incredibly good at what they do. Yeah, I think in in some ways it adds to that, um, the narrative that you were saying that we like stories and that these celebrities turn into stories in a way and that once they die, their story their story isn't dead. They're, they're still, you know, they still exist in people's minds. Um, and, yeah, I think it's uh, it's interesting that that these people are still very much people and they've done the most human thing you can do, which is die, and yet we still see them as stories and we still want them to exist as stories outside of um, what almost almost more than human we want them to be. We want them to exist beyond that human lifespan. Yeah, so we kind of put them on a pedestal and I think a lot of celebrities, both living and dead, end up on that sort of pedestal and ideal in some way. But we also like to set them up and tear them down too. Um, and I suppose one, one illustration here would be to think about Michael Jackson. 
Now, Michael Jackson has been on the dead rich list for Forbes since his death in 2009. And there's only been two years when he hasn't been the top of that particular list. In 2009, when he died, because only, he only had six months of earnings because he died halfway through the year. And also in 2012, when Elizabeth Taylor knocked him off the top spot for a single year. Now, what's interesting with Michael Jackson, of course, is the controversy surrounding him and um, his sort of relationships with children. Um, obviously, there are a number of legal cases during his lifetime. And then obviously, more recently, there's been the Finding Neverland documentary. And there's a lot more controversy surrounding him. And what I'm interested in about this October is to see whether or not this new documentary has dented his image in death any further. He can't defend himself. Um, and, you know, he can't be tried for crimes now. Um, in the same way, because he's dead. Um, and yet, is this going to sort of dent his posthumous career? And what's particularly interesting with him is his earnings are so astronomically higher than any other dead celebrity. He is the top earning celebrity, living or dead, of all time. So, for example, back in 2016, he earned $825 million oh in a single year. Okay? Now, to put that in context, the person in second place was Charles Schultz. Now, he's the, the cartoonist uh, who did Snoopy. And he earned $48 million. So he's definitely uh, well He's hard to shake from that top spot. Um, you know, his earnings have fluctuated. The lowest it's gone is to $75 million. Imagine that being the yeah, lowest. Yeah, you know, that's the lowest. And, you know, in 2018, he earned $400 million. So, I mean, his earnings are absolutely astronomical. But going back to that 2016, I think what is really important to think about with some of these dead celebrities, um, particularly Michael Jackson, is how savvy some of these people are in life. So he was smart in that he bought up the Sony ATV music catalogue and this got sold off in 2016 for 750 million, which is where most of his earnings came from in that single year. And what's important about that music catalogue? It owned the Beatles music. <laughs> Paul McCartney tried to buy it. He didn't have enough money at the time. So, you know, um, what's great about some of these dead celebrities is actually how business savvy they are in making investments and buying up and sort of within the culture industry and how much money there is tied up within that. And I think it really says something. Yeah, it kind of highlights why they need these people to to run their estates after they die because they've purchased all these businesses and things and... Yeah, of course, they're, they're businesses, they're not just people. And even though the person is dead, the business still has to live on somehow. Absolutely. That image doesn't go into the grave. Mm -hmm. So they they become um, this, this image that continues, continues to produce new things. Um, so Elvis Presley's had a, a range of uh, new music hits after death um, because his voice has been taken and re-recorded with other people um, and actually it's designated as new music. So they can continue to produce new uh, material um, they can continue to act they're dubbed into movies and into um, television adverts they can endorse products um, you know we saw Peter Cushing and Carrie Fisher uh, appear in um, sort of some of the new sort of Star Wars films they're, they were dead but they were alive producing new material and someone is going to be getting the money for that yeah, it's a it's a new phenomenon that's come out of a new technology uh, recently. Uh, I don't know if you know about the the deep fakes. The, Ooh, no, um, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> it's a um, like a facial recognition technology that takes lots of images of a person and then can 
make it can put their face on anybody else's face and then you can say whatever you like right um and there's been sort of a growing trend with people using that um obviously for nefarious purposes but um also a lot with sort of dead actors and actresses and there's a lot of talk about could we have these people come back to life in movies even though somebody completely different is playing them their face would be on that person and it would look like that dead actor or actress is in that movie I think that's very interesting. Yeah. So we certainly saw that um, with the sort of, with Peter Cushing, for example. It was uh, an actual actor uh, who performed and then they sort of dubbed that face in mm. around. Um, and I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating, slightly creepy and disturbing at the same time, or I'm slightly disturbed mm. by it. Um, but it raises lots of those ethical and moral questions that I'm particularly interested in, and legal questions. Um, you know, do we have the right to do this to the dead? Do they have a say? Do the living actually need to put this into wills now? Um, you know, do celebrities need to think far enough in advance about how they want to be used in death and actually put that down in legal documentation to protect themselves about how they do and don't want to be used? Um, and those sort of moral questions, you know, is this okay? You know, um, how far do we take this? Um, there are now um, global tours by the dead. They, they perform um, as um, holograms on stage. So you can buy tickets to hear them perform, but it's not them. It's a hologram on stage. It's slightly uncomfortable territory, um, but increasingly people seem to be more impressed with the fact that we can do it rather than the question of should we? When Tupac was originally resurrected to perform it um, on stage with, I think it was Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre, I think it was, um, the reaction was from the audience, this is really quite disturbing. <laughs> but then when Michael Jackson did it, and then we see um, Amelia Earhart being resurrected in Vegas and Betty Page, who was a striptease artist. And then we're seeing um, Roy Orbison and um, Buddy Holly. There's less and less resistance. People are, oh, okay. It's, it's becoming, it's already shifting towards that sort of normalising process, uh, which again, I, as a researcher, I find that really interesting and it's something I think that needs to be tracked and looked into more. But from the initial reactions of this is really uncomfortable territory, already it's becoming, oh, that's okay. Again, that normalising process. Would you personally want that to happen? Do you think that you know, on a personal level, do you think that it's a bit too weird or do you do you think it's okay? Oh, I think I'm okay with weird, to be honest. <laughs> um, I think it's pushing new boundaries, which I think is exciting. Um, but I think there are some serious, again, ethical, legal, mm -hmm. moral questions that need to be asked. I think um, that we've got a generation of celebrities coming through that have the potential for fabulously lucrative posthumous careers. Um, and I'll be interested to see, not that I'm wishing people dead, that isn't the case, but when they die, I'll be really interested to see whether or not they've learnt from what they're seeing now. So I'm thinking of people who um, are incredibly famous and wealthy now, whether that's, or it could be anybody from JK Rowling through to um, Oprah Winfrey. You know, are some of these, Beyonce, are these people going to be thinking, okay, I want to have in my will how I want to be used after death. And I suspect we're going to see more of that. Now, this was really sort of set into motion by Robin Williams. Now, when he uh, died, a couple of years before his, his tragic suicide, he'd actually changed his uh, will. 
And he left himself, his image, um, to the Windfall Foundation, which is a charity set up in his name. Now, this foundation controls his image. So not his family, this charity. And this charity are not allowed to use him in any way until 2039. Now, I'm still trying to find out why 2039, but what it's done is it's created this window whereby he can actually die because his body is gone, but his image is prevented from being used or utilised on a mass scale. Now, someone like Robin Williams, obviously incredibly versatile, his performances, his voice. You could imagine that after death, if, an, if a marketing agent got hold of him, you could make a lot of money selling him and using that in different ways. But he has actually, in life, he thought about it and he's protected himself. And I'm wondering if this is a precedent that's been set and that future celebrities are going to be thinking about their deaths and their posthumous careers and trying to seek control um, from the grave, I suppose. Do you think that, um, I mean, obviously you say that you think that celebrities are, if they're not already thinking about it, are going to have to start thinking about it. Um, would the average everyday person, do we have to start thinking about it? Because, I mean, most people nowadays have some kind of, I don't want to say brand, but like image presence online. Um, they'll have a social media, um, they'll have, you know, all the pictures that they've been taken and um you know things like podcast recordings um absolutely and do we have to start thinking about this you know who's going to get my instagram password when i die that kind of thing is someone going to keep posting for me do i want someone to keep posting for me easy answer yes we need to be thinking about this the, one of the reasons i really like looking at celebrities it's the most ex it's an extreme form of humanity and because it's an extreme form it's a good example and then you can actually let it filter down and realize that actually so many of us need to relate to this particular issue and with something like death um, and sort of our digital legacy it's something we need to be thinking about as well as famous people um, so many of us have social media accounts um, so much stuff is now caught in this fabulous internet related computerized digitized realm and when we die who controls that if we don't write it down, there are huge restrictions. Facebook is a really big one that's sort of, I think, reaching into the media at the moment. I think in a few years' time, there's going to be more dead people on Facebook than living, for example. <laughs> um, and Facebook had to face up to the fact that um, what you do with these dead people's accounts. Now, if you um, have someone who has died, you can send a copy of the death certificate into Facebook. There's, you, you can look up all the details. And they can either delete the account completely or they can turn it into a memorialization site. So it will continue on. Um, what that memorialization site means is no one else can befriend you, so only the people who are connected to it will be able to access it. And I think one of the problems with this is um, what happens if, um, so for example, if, if I die, my children are too young to be on Facebook, but they won't be able to access their mother's Facebook page mm. if it's memorialised. But there, there are memories on there. It's an archive mm -hmm. of my life and raising those children. Those are the sorts of people who would really like to be able to see that in the future, but they won't gain access. So do I leave my password to my husband and my kids and let them log in, log out? I don't know. There's those sorts of questions. We need to think it through. We need to think through the legal terminology of that as well. And that's just one of the social media accounts. You've got all of the others. So I would encourage any age person to think about their digital legacy and what they want to do with it and who they want to control it. By having um, 
someone manage their estate and their image after they die, in a way of they almost become immortal. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> they they have um, got the, the 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 possibility of almost being immortal. Um, this is something that um, thanatologists, so uh, death scholars, um, would talk about is um, in relation to social death and continuing bonds. So um, you have two forms of death. The, the death when the, the body dies and the person is gone physically. Um, but then you have to go through the process of social death. So social death means that you continue to live on. Now that could be in people's memories or with celebrities through their work from life. Um, and you actually have to go through a second death. So when we actually go out of living memory, for example. Um, now that will happen to those of us who aren't super famous with a huge intellectual property legacy to leave behind. But for celebrities, there are some. Will they ever undergo social death? Robin Williams has kind of had a go at it by limiting his posthumous career. And actually he's kind of going out of sight, out of mind by 2039. Will people, will have a generation come through who will be like, who's Robin Williams? What? you know, won't be so interested. So is he actually bringing about his own sort of social death? But for a lot of celebrities, someone like Marilyn Monroe, I have, I, my prediction would be that she will never fully undergo social death. She's constantly being reused, relived, reinterpreted um, by the next generation coming through. She has become an icon. And I think this is where, um, we see um, celebrities splitting into different sort of hierarchies. We have celebrities that will um, sort of be useful for a while after death, but then people will sort of have failing continuing bonds with them. They'll lose that connection as the next human generation comes through. They won't remember them in the same way. But there are some celebrities that gain iconic status in life, and that means that they gain a degree of immortality. Uh, so after death, they really can't seem to die um, because they reconnect with generations as they come through because of that iconicity. There aren't many that will truly achieve that. Um, and sort of researching in this area, I'm constantly thinking, oh, who am I going to predict? Who's the next icon? Um, and, I, you know, is there another Marilyn Monroe coming through? And, you know, you might think, oh, well, what about Kim Kardashian? No, I'm not convinced that she's going to be an icon. She's powerful in terms of image and a smart woman. Um, but, you know, 50, 60 years time, will we remember her? I'm not completely convinced. Um, so I think some of it depends on what that actual legacy is, how they've cultivated themselves in, in, in life. I think someone like Elton John, mm. I think he's iconic, not only with the, his fashion um, and his music, um, but I think, you know, the fact that he's been sort of, you know, Rocket Man's recently come out. I think he's one that has achieved iconic status. I think he, once he dies again, not wishing him dead, <laughs> but I think he's got that distinct possibility of becoming an icon into the future. That's a really interesting thought experiment. I think um, it'd be interesting to ask different people what they think, um, to look at what different people um appreciate in a celebrity i think but yeah i think you're right i think elton john is is iconic enough um and possibly um like jk rowling as well because mm. um maybe not her but i think her books 
Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So actually, there, there's an interesting one, isn't it? You can actually have um, celebrity figures who aren't real. They're fiction. Mm, Harry yeah. Potter is a celebrity <laughs> in his own right. Um, Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. Um, so you've got some of those characters too. And I mean, obviously Sherlock Holmes dies, um, but then gets resurrected. And, and so this, that's a whole new uh, sort of area of research and thinking. We kind of use celebrities as characters um, in in a story that um, partly they build and partly we build around them. Um, and we like to use these celebrities as, as you said, like exaggerated versions of normal society. Do you think one of the reasons we're interested in celebrity death is because we shy away from death of the quote-unquote normal person um, that that's a topic that people don't really talk about that much and that it's a bit... Um, you know, reserved for either, you know, sad movies or Halloween. But when it comes to celebrity, we're okay talking about it. Um, Do you think that's because we need a way to talk about it? Or do you think that's because we don't see them as people as such? Yeah. So this is something um, I spent some time thinking about and and writing about in my book. And um, actually this notion of celebrity deaths and uh, grieving, mourning, uh, memorialization, I think this is really how to sort of tackle that question. Um, Celebrities, we we form these these bonds with them, we connect with them. An example would be my own experience getting obsessed with Miley Cyrus a few years ago. Uh, And that's when she was making the transition from the squeaky clean Disney kid as Hannah Montana to this sort of rebellious teenager. And I spent some months tracking her. Now, during that tracking period, I could tell you what coffee she was buying, how much she'd paid and where she was at any point. And what's interesting is the details of her life that I, I could find out online, almost in real time. I knew more about her than I knew about what my husband was doing or my mum, for example, I could really connect with her. And yet, I don't know her. Wasn't even on the same continent as her. Now, in death, we can again have those connections. We can feel quite close to them. We felt that in life. And in death, we can feel a genuine sense of grief and loss and want to memorialise. And you see a lot of people set up um, these kind of celebrity shrines. When Robin Williams died, people started leaving flowers and writing messages at key locations associated with Robin Williams, including the house where uh, it was used as sort of a set for the original Mork and Mindy uh, series where he gained fame, the famous bench from Goodwill Hunting where he sat. Um, there were sort of chalk messages written around it. So people didn't know Robin Williams but they did know him and they did grieve and um, they wanted to mark that passing. So again, these connections with the celebrity are so significant. And I I think it's important not to just dismiss them as, oh, you know, they're just people overreacting, they're just fans. There is genuine sense of loss. However, it is a different connection than we have through a personal relationship Um, with family members or with friends that we spend time with. So the death of celebrities, although it can be very real and there's genuine sense of grief and loss, it isn't going to be to the same extent as losing family members, for example. So dead celebrities or the death of celebrities becomes a safe space to explore our notions of mortality, our sense of loss, Um, because we are removed from them to a degree. It's like we're looking at them through a lens. Uh, By looking at them through sort of glass, they're very clear. You can almost reach them, but you're still in a safe space. You're protected. 
So do you think that people use this as almost like a cathartic way of exploring how they mourn without having to not, I mean, as you said, they still feel grief, but without having to mourn it on a more personal sense. It's a little bit more detached. And do people need that, do you think? I think it is a little bit more removed. Um, and I think people aren't necessarily consciously thinking, oh, my favourite celebrity's just died, I'm going to practice grieving. I don't think it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a much sort of subtler process than that. But I think it can show the strength of the bond that we can form with people that we don't actually know. Um, and I mean that in the sense of that sort of physical connection of being able to meet up with them in the same room, hang out with them, have a drink, have coffee, have meals. Um, but our connections can be incredibly strong. Um, and I think it's important not to just dismiss it um, as something that is just a generation of people who are overreacting and or being silly because it's just a celebrity. Those bonds are very real. Um, but again, they are still safer um, or a safer place to experience death than through our own personal connections. You said that people could dismiss this generation as as overreacting to celebrity death. Do you think that is a generational thing or do you think that's um, something that has always happened and something that people have always said, mm -hmm. if you know what I mean? I think there has been a historical trend of the older generation dismissing the younger generation in, in lots of different ways. But I think what we're seeing here is um, generations of young people who are growing up in a socially mediated global society, whereby they're forming bonds um, with global figures um, to help them through uh, the growing up period. I'm sure we can all think of pieces of music that mean a lot to us because they helped us through a particular period or we hate that piece of music because it was makes us think of a nasty period. Those sorts of connections. And I think there are celebrities, not just musical celebrities, but celebrities in general who we connect to. And those connections are um, forming these, again, continuing bonds that are lasting on often beyond the celebrity's death. And with this, again, with, with sort of young people growing up in that sort of environment, they're grappling with a range of bonds that the generations above them didn't have to grow up with. Um, and I mean, you know, I can't fully connect with that. You know, um, I can still remember mobile phones being a novelty and email coming out for the first time, things like this. Um, and yet you've got these generations coming through that that's totally normal territory now. So again, the bond connections with people they don't personally know, but they feel like they do personally know. Again, that's the Miley Cyrus thing. I felt like I personally knew her. Um, so these, again, these connections... I think are really significant and need more research, more thought, um, and shouldn't just be dismissed. The phenomenon of people like mourning celebrities that they've never met, I think that might get a lot more extreme. Yeah, but then of course you've got to think along the lines of, of actually will it? So you might have um, a sort of YouTube figure who's got like 20 million followers, and then they die, and are they actually going to disappear? because they're not producing new sort of friendly up face videos. The, the real-time relationship has collapsed. And it seems to be that quite a lot of these sort of social media vlogger kind of characters, it's very much real-time relationship. Are they achieving iconic status? 
That's true. So if they haven't achieved that iconic status, they will probably disappear. So that's an interesting one as well. Um, you know, are these actually an exception? Are they something I haven't anticipated yet? Which totally might be true, I don't know. Um, but if we're going by that rule of you need to truly achieve, to truly achieve sort of that immortality and that sort of posthumous career to keep being loved and forming new bonds with future generations, there needs to be a legacy that goes beyond just say real time videos. So it would be interesting. I don't have full answers, but um, yeah, the possibilities are uh, fascinating. <laughs> so do you think there might be a drop off in in celebrities achieving social immortality because celebrity has changed? Absolutely. We've got more people who fall into that broad category of celebrity than ever before you know you're a celebrity if you've been on love island you're a celebrity if you run a successful blog you're a celebrity if you're in um a blockbuster movie you're a celebrity you know it just goes on and on you could be a local celebrity you might be famous in york go outside of york no one's heard of you but you're still a celebrity so i suppose um that that sort of there's we've seen a real sort of bottleneck in who is actually going to become iconic and the people who are iconic now who are already dead are people who were often in a, of a certain generation so um icons i'm thinking james dean i'm thinking marilyn monroe elvis presley um you can think of some of these key figures and what's interesting with them is they um carved out careers in a particular time period so 20th century um sort of 50s, 60s, height of Hollywood glamour. Um, there weren't many of them. So if everybody knew about them, there was kind of a greater significance. Um, so, yeah, are we producing enough of those now? I would say not. Um, someone like Elton John that we kind of talked about, you know, he's getting older. Again, not wishing him dead. Um, <laughs> but, you know, he was of a certain generation, you know, are we producing now people who are going to be the Elton Johns of the future? Is someone like Ed Sheeran, for example, incredibly popular? We want to know who he is. Is he going to leave the sort of legacy in terms of identity, that image and music that, say, Elton John has? Or is he just going to be hugely popular in his time period and then he's just going to sort of disappear off? So, again... Some of this is, you know, it's about speculation, but my, my gut feeling is, and from certainly the research that I've done, is we're not producing those icons. We'll have to re-listen to this in 50 years' time to see... Uh... Absolutely. Let's time capsule it and yeah. dig it up and find out exactly whether or not we were right. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining me today. Uh, it's been very interesting. You're welcome. It's truly the case that death is not the end. <laughs> Ooh, that's a that's a good line to end on. I like that. Um, yeah, thank you very much to uh, the York Radio URI for letting us use their studio because um, otherwise we'd have nowhere to record. So it was rather integral. Um, and thank you for listening. Uh, goodbye.